Welcome to Orange Crest Community Church and OCCathome.com. We are so glad you're here. At OCC, our mission is to invite people to take their next steps with Jesus. And so we pray that through our time together, you're encouraged and challenged to move forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. Hey, thanks for joining us. If I've never met you before, my name's Scott. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm wrapping up this message series called Happy Never After. And what will you find is that life never always goes as planned. You know, there's not always a happy ending where we, you know, defeat the evil villain and ride away in the sunset with, you know, thematic music playing in the background. Setbacks, challenges, hardships, all these things actually happen. And if we're not careful, we will find ourselves in a season of discouragement where we can actually make choices that make our life even more difficult. So during this series, we've actually been looking at the four approaches that you can kind of derive from the seven churches in the second and third chapters of the book of Revelation, where Jesus is actually talking to seven specific churches and giving them some encouragement and some corrections. And what we found in that is that there's four approaches to life, and we've looked at each one of those, and they are indifference, and basically our indifference to our affections towards Jesus. We looked at that in week one. Week two, we looked at selfishness. And week three, we looked at the desire to kind of squeeze out from under pressure that sometimes takes hold of us. Today, I'm going to wrap up the series by talking about um, how to be on the lookout for the sneaky and subtle approach of rebellion against God. But rebellion's an interesting word, you know? It's one of those words that it really depends upon the context as to if it's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, simply put, rebellion just means to openly resist an authority. Um, this could be a boss, this could be a parent, could be a government, could be a scoutmaster, could be a friend, and it could be a god. So let's play a simple game here to experience together kind of how the word rebellion can seem, be seen differently based on the context, all right? And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to show some slides to you and describe them, and I'll just kind of walk you through, especially you online, I'll just kind of walk you through um, <clears throat> the experience we have with these slides. This first one is a slide of Corey Tin Boom, um, who Daniel last week actually talked about her in her message. This is a woman that hid Jews um, during... Um, World War II era. And so she hid them in her room. And it's a great example of someone who rebelled against the governing authorities, right, to actually protect human life. Um, this is a good rebellion, right? We would say this is right. It's obviously right. Like she was in the right to rebel against the, the governing authorities who were wiping out the Jewish population at the time. What about this next one, right? Are you Star Wars fans? The Rebel Alliance, you know? This is the people, you know, even in their name, the Rebel Alliance. They went against, you know, the Palpatine Emperor, the evil dark side of the Force, you know? In fiction, this is obviously a right <laughs> um, rebellion as well. Now, what about this next one? If, if you don't know what it is, it's a painting of the Boston Tea Party. And as far as we know, as far as we know, this was a, a right rebellion against the English Empire at the time. Um, now, we're going to get a little bit more, more nuanced here, okay? Here's another slide. Princess Elsa from Frozen. What do you think? She rebelled against what her parents asked her to do, right? Was it good? Was it a good rebellion? Was it wrong? 
It's a little nuanced, isn't it? It kind of depends. Maybe your parents shouldn't put those strict rules on her. Maybe they should have given her another way. However, things didn't go well when she chose to let it go, right? So a little bit nuanced here. What about this next one? This is a brand new movie that Pixar put out called Red Panda. Um, and if you haven't seen it, this one's very interesting. This is the actual villain in this story that the girl, as she changes into a red panda, has to fight. Guess who the villain is? It's her mom. The villain is her mom. Now, it's culturally complicated, okay? So it's a little bit nuanced here. But the, one of the very last phrases in this movie is, as the girl's leaving, which this won't make sense unless you've seen the movie, with some of her panda showing, her mom starts to correct her. And if she quickly tells her mom, my panda, my choice. <laughs> and the mom relents. So definitely ambiguous. What about this next slide of one of our famed Disney characters, Ariel? Now, this is clearly wrong. Ariel was wrong. Matter of fact, when this story was first written by Hans Christian Andersen, it didn't end well for Ariel. In our Disney version, she gets away with it. It was actually written as a story to um, scare little kids into obeying their dads or showing the treachery of not obeying dads who look out for you. So Ariel's an interesting one. I mean, we have fun with it. It's okay, but she clearly rebelled against her father um, and guess what it worked out for her didn't it she didn't really learn now what about this last one adam and eve rebelled against the living god this was clearly a wrong rebellion and in fact rebellion against god's authority was mankind's first sin and continues to be our downfall today doesn't it our sin nature actually can be defined as a corruption in our perception of life and a corruption in our values of life. And it doesn't, guys, our sin nature does not want to bow to the authority of another, even the one true God, our creator. And part of becoming a Christian is an actual, it's a yielding of a rebellion, laying down our arms to the one true God and laying down the arms of independent, isolated desires, which is really just not thinking of others, and self-will to follow the ways of our Creator. We essentially are saying to God, I am really sorry for not following you. Will you please forgive me? And guess what? He does. He does because of what Jesus did for us. In fact, the Bible calls our rebellion to God's ways the old self. It calls that the old self, the rebellious way, and encourages us when we become a believer to put on the new self. So as Christians, it kind of looks like this. We have one big yes when we first become a believer in Christ, laying down our arms of rebellion and saying, yes, I will follow you, God. One big yes followed by a whole bunch of little yeses from then on forward, maybe even many little yeses each day for the rest of our life. And you see, while we are growing, the reason that is, is we still have three enemies that are combated against our one big yes. And these three enemies are a desire of our flesh. You know, our flesh still wants what it wants, when it wants it. And that's part of the sin nature. The culture of our world, you know, this world. And, and what I mean specifically is the culture of our world that is in opposition to the ways of God. There's still a whole culture that is in rebellion to God. And that creates a system, a way of thought, art, influences the way we think, 
It's in our education system. It's in our government. It's in a lot of different things throughout history that is in opposition to the ways of God. And then also Satan and his demons, who are these. This is our last enemy, who is actually at war against mankind. They're actually at war against God, and they're trying to keep mankind from yielding to God. And they even go at Christians who've already had that one big yes to try to get them to to say no in the little daily yeses we need to make. So this whole process, by the way, that I'm talking about, and the reason I'm going through this is trying to parse out for you and, and bring out it, you know, this idea of putting on the new self and battling our three enemies is actually called sanctification. Now, that'll be important later on, but I just want to be clear about that. And then today, from the seven churches discussed in Revelation, we're actually going to look at the church in a city called Pergamum. Okay, and in his letter, Jesus gives both encouragement and correction um, on the rejecting a rebellion towards his ways. He both says, hey, you've done a really good job. Be careful here. So let's go ahead and get into the text and read it. And I'll kind of walk us through it and explain as we go. So it starts in Revelations um, 2, 12 through 16. And it says, write to the angel of the church of Pergamum. Thus says the one who has the sharp, double-edged sword. Now, at the beginning of this chapter, and let me pause here because this is important, Jesus describes himself. He's actually describing himself. And one of the attributes he gives himself, and it's metaphorically, but it's, it's describing an actual attribute he has, is a double-edged sword that is actually coming out of his mouth. And this is really to represent um, that he's coming to judge the nations. All right? And to be clear, just to be clear, this is a threatening weapon, all right? This isn't a fun sword. This is a threatening weapon. So let's keep reading. Jesus says, I know where you live, where Satan's throne is. That doesn't sound like a good place. Yet you are holding on to my name and did not deny your faith in me. So they, they did it. They held on. Even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was put to death among you where Satan lives. All right. So there's some good things here. So let's let's set up Pergamum for you here a little bit because we need to because it says where Satan lives, where his throne is. So Pergamum was actually a very important city in those days in the pagan world. And they actually had a library of more than 200,000 works. And they were all handwritten, guys. And they were handwritten on this very interesting um, and specially, specifically designed parchment made of animal skins that that city actually created um, and they invented. And this library in the ancient world was only second to the city of Alexandria's library. So this was a significant place for Greek literacy, education, and even culture. So it sometimes makes me wonder, well, why was it then the throne of Satan? You know, that does that really make sense? You know, why did he say, I know where you live, where Satan's throne is? And so what I want to do is I want us to watch a, a brief segment of a video here. It's about three minutes long to really help us um, see what Jesus possibly meant by I know where you live, where Satan's throne is. Now, this will also kind of give us a better context for the city of Pergamum and how what, what the Christians there were up against as being the church. Um, um he, he immediately in this video, just to set it up, he goes right into describing the, the various array and multitudes of um, 
temples in this city of all the gods and goddesses. So let's watch this. Gods and goddesses in this town was impressive. Uh, right over this hill here, still existing, is the ancient altar to Zeus. Zeus was the king of Mount Olympus, where all the gods and goddesses dwelt. Uh, so he was the king of kings. Zeus was the god of the sky, of lightning and thunder, and would use lightning against his enemies. It's said that he consorted with mortals and gods and goddesses. Well, if you needed something done, <laughs> that was the place to go. He had all the power. But maybe you came to Pergamum for pleasure. Then why not go to the temple of Dionysus? Uh, he was the god of wine and revelry. You would go there and participate in the festivities, get drunk with everyone else, participate in the orgies. Sometimes the frenzy was so, so strong that it would end up in the taking of human life. Going to that temple was like what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. <laughs> or going to New Orleans for the Mardi Gras. But if you're in need of food, need of a good crop, then you want to go to the temple of the goddess of Demeter. Uh, she was the one who could guarantee you food on your table and a wonderful crop at the end of the season. Maybe you're sick. Then here in Pergamum was the temple to Asclepius, the god of healing. It was one of the major spots for healing in the world. Pilgrims came from all over to come to this temple. And in this temple, it was the snakes that did the healing. Um, the priests of the temple would often put people in a trance. They would go to sleep, and, and then they would get a vision of what was wrong with them, and they could take it to the doctor and tell the doctor, and he would try to somehow medicate it. Uh, in an even stranger ritual, they would often put the sick people in a large room at night that's pitch black. And in the middle of the night, in their deep trance-like sleep that had been induced on them, they would release the snakes to crawl over their bodies in a ritual of healing. Interestingly, even today, the medical symbol that we see is a rod with snakes wound around it. It dates right back to that hospital here in Pergamum. Or maybe you need wisdom. You just don't know what to do then come to the temple of Athena, the goddess of wisdom, the goddess who would understand and form great military strategies for Rome to win its wars. Or if you wanted to affirm that Caesar was Lord of Lords, the savior of your life, granting you safety and peace, then you would come to the temple of the imperial cult up on the top of the mountain, the temple to Trajan. This was the scene at Pergamum. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you refuse to bow the knee, it was a good thing for you to hear what Jesus said at the beginning of the letter when he said, I know the place where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Pergamum really was a dangerous place for Christians to be. I mean, you can see by the video there was a lot going on there. And most of the seven cities in Revelations actually were dangerous maybe on one to two days a year during the worship of Caesar. But Pergamum 
was a daily battle for safety. And not only was their safety at risk, but many of the pagan practices um, that were participated in were actually part of kind of the cultural pagan doing business together. You know, that basically a lot of people participate in these things to conduct business together. So not participating in some of these ungodly practices actually hurt your pocketbook. It was very hard to be distinct and different in in Pergamum. So, but Jesus encourages them, doesn't he? He says, many of you have held true to his name in this difficult environment. And may Jesus say that about us, you know? He even highlights one man who was put to death for his faith. So, let's let's read on though. And he says, and here's the correction, but I have a few things against you. Um, you have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to place a stumbling block in front of the Israelites, to eat meat sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. In the same way, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. So, what Jesus is referring to here is really to false teachers within the church. And what those false teachers are doing, they're, they're there to corrupt the truth and lay the groundwork for re-engaging a rebellion against God. Um, Basically, they're describing a reality where you can marry in the cultural rebellious ways of ungodliness with the practices of the church. And um, it's very subtle. And the reason he refers to Balaam, let me tell you why this is important. So let me set this up to you. So Balak was the king of Moab, and I'm going to do this pretty quickly um, because it's actually like four chapters in the book of Numbers. tell this whole story. But Balak was the king of Moab. Um, back in the Old Testament, and was very threatened by the Israelites who kind of moved into his area. Their population, their size, he thought they would take them all out. And so um, he calls upon Balaam. Now, Balaam was an interesting guy. He he knew the one living God. He seemed to be kind of like a prophet of some sort, a soothsayer, some kind of diviner. It's it's hard to tell. I mean, he he definitely was limited to only what God would allow him to do, and God would come tell him to say things to people. But he was also a little, he wasn't very integrous. He, he sold, you know, he, 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 he used his gifts for profit. And so Balak called on him and asked him to come. And he wanted him to put a curse on the Israelites. And, and Balaam couldn't do it. I mean, it's, it's a great story. God kept, God kept coming to him and having him actually bless the Israelites every time he opened his mouth. And he actually told Balak, look, I'm going to come, but God is only, I'm only going to say what, what God tells me to say, and he actually ends up blessing them. And, and Balak gets really mad and sends them away. But, and you can read about this, by the way, in Numbers 22 through 25 and chapters 31. So all those chapters have this. Um, but, but Balaam still wanted to get paid by the kingdom at some point. And so what he did is he actually went to the king of Moab, and he told them, he said, look, they have, and I'm summarizing here, they have a very jealous God. God is a very jealous God, so I can't curse them. He's not going to curse them. They're blessed people. But if you get them to practice spiritual idolatry, meaning you get them to cheat on God, he'll be mad at them himself, and he'll curse them. So what he did is he actually taught them how to, how to have the women of Moab to come and lure the men of the Israelites into engaging in sexual practices and sacrificing food to their idols. Um, some of them coupled up in marriage. Some of them didn't. And what happened is, is 
God sent a plague and 24,000 men fell dead during this plague. Now, it could have gotten even worse, but God actually stepped out in mercy and ended the plague by, um, you know, resol- you know, basically resolving some of the men of Israel and bringing them out of the stage of curse and back into blessing. And so he had grace on them. Now, the Nicolaitans are kind of similar in that it's also a doctrine that had been kind of spreading at the time as well. They refer to it back at the beginning of chapter two with the Church of Ephesus and both have a similar message. And here's what it is. It's okay to mix pagan practices within the church. It's okay to mix pagan practices within the church. It's okay to marry the two together. And here's what they are. It's sexual sins. And mostly done, you know, as a form of widespread cultural pagan practice. And then food, sacrifice to idol, or really essentially any kind of form of idol worship or participation in idols. I mean, this is why in the Bible, Paul says many times, like, hey, he had to really clarify. You see these two things come up time and time again in the, in the New Testament church. He had to clarify, you know, it's okay if you buy food in the market that may have been sacrificed idols because it's no longer serving the purpose it is. Some of you agree, some of you don't. It's okay, but be courteous of those who think it's wrong. You know, they're, they're, you can read about that in Romans 14 and other parts of the Bible. But it's not okay to go to the ceremonies where the food is sacrificed to a God and participate in that food. That's per, That's sitting at the table of the idols, essentially of demons. That's committing spiritual adultery on God. So, you know, what what the people actually were doing is, you know, I, I sometimes wonder, why did they do this? I mean, they already lived in a place that was distinctly different from Christianity, and they'd become Christians out of that. And you think they would have had that one big yes where they decided, I'm going to follow Jesus. And then they had a bunch of little yeses at this. And it seemed like a lot of them were really faithful. Um, and there was, you know, even the gentleman at Antipas who refers to where he's put to death. But you think, why did they fall for these false teachers? And I think here's what it is, is like us, is I wonder if some of the people in the church were just tired of living a life contrary to the cultural norms. You know, they were tired of being different. They were tired of living in a dangerous place all the time. They were Tired of having to practice faith just to walk down the streets and and avoid the things they had to avoid. You know, they wondered if there could be a way to maybe compromise and release the pressure, but still be included in the church. It's hard being culturally different. It's hard saying something different than the culture is saying. It's hard having a different conviction than most of the people in your neighborhood or in your life, especially when it costs you money. Or could actually cost you going to jail or even being killed. And so, but here's the thing. God has always told his people from the time of Israel, he said, be holy because I am holy. He wants them to be distinct and different. Now, this isn't a message on holiness. Um, but so if you're unfamiliar with what that is, you may have to look into it a little bit and we can help you. But be holy because I is holy. Luckily for us, Jesus came to make us holy. But he still, even in that, he still asks us. And we still, in response to his love and his mercy, we, we respond by living a very distinctive life, a life that's different. We no longer continue in our ungodliness, 
and our unrighteousness and in committing spiritual adultery and blending what the world says in with what God says. And this can be really challenging. The world system, you know, is in contrary to what God says. And this is a great example. What's happening in Pergamum and what I want us to derive from this message is this is a great example of, of, of fighting one of our enemies, and that is the world system. So, and this is, guys, this is the system we were raised in. It's what we were relaxed and entertained by right now, currently. You know, it informs what we get politically activated by. You know, it's, it tells us what medicines to take or not to take. You know, how to get help from my problems. It tells us that. It tells us what we need to spend our discretionary money on so that we can be in vogue. It tells us where to go on vacation. You know, this system is very prevalent. We exist in it. And that's okay. You know, we're told to be in the world, not of the world. So it's okay that we're in the stew, but we have to find a way to be different. So let's continue on here and see what Jesus says in the last part of this message. He closes his letter to the Church of Pergamon with this. So repent! Exclamation point. So repent! Otherwise, I will come to you quickly and fight against them. He's referring to those in the church who were um, spreading these false teachings and practicing them. I will come to them with the sword of my mouth. Guys, I really, I say this with trepidation. In seriousness, I really don't want to live a life in which Jesus is coming at me with a threatening weapon. So what are we supposed to do then? You know, are we supposed to go live in a hole somewhere? Are we supposed to become the Amish? Are we supposed to get on a ship and sail to a new country and establish a new land, even though there's nothing left? You know, what are we supposed to do about this letter in our day and age. And I really kind of see three applications from this passage to help us avoid rebellion. Now, there could be more, and there likely are more, but for today, here's what I have. And and I'll lay them all out for you, and then we'll talk about them individually. First is we need to reject false teachers. Second is we need to embrace sanctification. Remember that process I talked about earlier of putting off the old self and putting on the new self and growing to be more Christ-like? Saying all those little yeses, learning how to say all those little yeses every day. Embrace sanctification. And then third is we need to repent of ungodly living. Now, these are in no order, um, but let's start with reject false teachers. Now, this can be difficult because we need to learn how to identify ideas and essentially the lies that are in rebellion against God's way in our culture, in our in ourselves even. And this can be really be tricky. And, and our three enemies are crafty, just like Balaam's, Balaam's, you know, methods to Balak. They can be crafty. Our flesh really wants what it wants. And we want to fit into the cultural ideas that make sense to us, especially if we grew up in the world and then we became Christians later in life. A lot of that still makes sense to us. And so it's hard to shed it. And then the demons whisper lies tipping us over the edge into choosing rebellion. So here are three tips for discerning the lies outside of and within the church. So the first one is know the Bible. Now I know, you know, if a pastor doesn't say, hey, you know, church congregant, 
learn to know the Bible at least several times a year, he's probably not doing his job. So you've heard this before. Know the Bible. This is going to take a lifetime, guys. It's always going to have to be, you know, this flag of learning to know the Bible is going to have to be flown in front of us constantly. So yet again today, I want to remind you, know the Bible. You know, this will take you forever. Um, it will take you a lifetime. But, hey, you might as well just get started today or restarted today, right? Um, and if you don't know where to start, just pray and ask God for help and then ask a friend. Pray and ask God for help and then ask a friend. But here's where you can always start. You can always start by just reading the whole Bible all the way through. They have lots of different plans yearly, more or less than that. And the more you know the truth, the more we can detect the lie. So this is really an anecdote to learning how not to fall for falsehoods. The more we know the truth, the more we can detect the lie. So second is bounce ideas off trusted leaders. You know, find people in your life who seem to know God's word. You know, bounce your ideas off on them and see what they think about them. See what kind of feedback you get. You know, don't just talk it over in your own age group or your own people, your own maturity stage. Talk it over with people who are older and wiser than you. And, and in fact, here's a great tip. Talk to a person that you're actually afraid to talk to because you feel like they're going to tell you something you don't want to hear. Now, you don't have to follow their advice, but I encourage you to, to seek their advice and let it penetrate you and actually think about it and allow God to see what he does um, to teach you in it. Um, learn to listen and be teachable. This is really a, a, a great tip. Last but not least is learn how to limit the world system and how much you allow it to influence you. This could be hard. You know, I'm not telling you to, to, to isolate yourself. You know, I'm not telling you to run off on a ship and start a new country somewhere else. Um, what I am telling you to do is just to learn how to limit the world system. Um, this may mean that you may need to limit social media. You may need to limit some podcasts you listen to. Even Christian podcasts. You may need to limit YouTube. That's one we forget about a lot. And Netflix and things like that. At the very least, we need to at least learn how to discern and take captive the bad ideas that we're coming into and that we're consuming so we can keep, keep a close eye on how they're impacting us. So that's that's related to false teachers but let me move on here to embracing sanctification and I don't have very much to say about this other than this is growing in our walk with God you know learning to exchange the old self or the new self is going to take a lifetime as well you know we're going to get tired at points and I'm just encouraging you is don't give up and don't give in uh, it can be very difficult to actually sit under the accountability and correction that our old self needs at times in order to put on the new self. Day in, day out, as we mature, we're going we're gonna to get tired of this from times. We're going to want to rebel and run from it. And so I want to encourage you to hang in there. Just sit under it. Embrace the whole process. Recognize that you're going to make mistakes. And through those mistakes, God's going to grow you. Recognize that trials are going to come. And through those trials, God is going to grow you. And recognize that it's going to be hard sometimes being different than the world. You may even feel like you're going to get ripped off. But have faith. Don't give up and don't give in. Embrace sanctification. And last but surely not least, guys, is repent of ungodly living. 
we need to continually be repenting of ungodly living. And what repenting means is we need to name it. Say, God, I'm doing this. And then turn from doing that and do something different. So when God reveals to us that we're actually living in rebellion against him. And remember, he, he is our creator. And he actually has the right to be our God and tell us how to live. So the Bible wants us to repent. In fact, the not following the creator, the Bible actually refers to this as madness. It's madness to rebel against our creator, especially when he's such a good God. So whether it's your first time figuring out that you have been in rebellion against God and you need to ask him for forgiveness, meaning you haven't committed your life to Jesus yet, you haven't become what you know we call a Christian, or you've been walking with God and found yourself slowly drifting into rebellion, which happens sometimes, and just need to get back on track. The good news is that in both cases, you can restart today. You can restart right now, in fact. And so I know it sounds too easy. I know it does, but it wasn't easy for Jesus. You know, he took the consequences of our rebellion and placed that upon himself on our behalf. And he fulfilled holiness because we couldn't. And he took our punishment. So we don't have to. So turning from our rebellion and trusting in him for the new life is always a choice while we are living. So if you'd like to do that today. You can um, actually write on your connection card here in a few moments, or if you've already done that, you can actually check a box that says, I'm, I want to talk to some. I'm interested in um, starting a relationship with Jesus Christ. There's a box you can check, or you can just write it in the notes, and some of our staff would love to reach out to you and talk to you about that. So um, here's some next steps um, I, want, I want to bring up, and then I'm going to close this in prayer, is here's the first next step you might want to take. For today's message, just start reading or listening through the whole Bible in a year with the YouVersion app. You can download YouVersion and you can read it or listen to the whole Bible in a year. There's reading plans you can follow on there. Or consider a one-week media fast where, you know, all you consume as far as reading and listening is worship music and reading the Bible. You know, no podcasts, no TV shows, no news even, unless it's something for work you have to do. Just take a one-week break from media and see how you feel. I'm sure the first couple of days it'll be hard, like trying to get rid of sugar or something. But see what that's like. And then third is talk with someone about starting a relationship with Jesus this week if you haven't done that yet. So let me let me close this in prayer. Lord, thank you for this time. We thank you, Lord, that while we were yet sinners, Christ Jesus, you died for us. So, Lord, we ask you for help. I pray that um, we can we can all just learn how to grow and, and embrace sanctification, Lord. That we can all learn how to read false um, teachings and read the lies that lead us to walk away from you. And then we can all learn how to repent when we found ourselves in rebellion against you, God. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you love us. Thank you for everything in, in Revelations 2 and 3. Um, there's really been a lot of instructive wisdom from these passages, God. And may we not just hear it, but may we actually come up with an action plan to do something with it. And in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for joining us today. We pray you were encouraged by the message and equipped to take your next step with Jesus. 
Visit us online at occathome.com to learn more about how to connect with us. And join us again next week for another Orange Crest Community Church podcast. Have a great day.